the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of men came <clears throat> number of the men came to about five thousand. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, open our hearts. Open your word. Lord, move mightily, Father. Lord, help me, Jesus. Desperately need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, today we continue our sermon series <coughs> called Here I Stand. Um, and inside of this sermon series, we've been looking at what, it, what does it mean to be, what are the basics, what are the foundations of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, of what it means to be a Christian, and that throughout the history of Christianity, really the history of humanity, that uh, we have both drawn near to the person and work of God, uh, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but then we have a temptation to, to drift, and this has been our, our consistent legacy within out, throughout the history of humanity, is that we come near to God, and then we drift away from God, and then something needs to happen, and then we are brought back toward Him and to His Word. And so within this, this realm of thinking, inside of what was known as the Great Reformation, uh, this was a, after a long season of being adrift, God empowered men and women of faith, men who, and women of faith who believed in the word of God alone, who believed that men and women were saved by grace alone, uh, that they were saved through faith alone, that they were justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. And so when we, we look at this passages and when we're looking at this idea of reformation, that is not just something that has happened once, but it has happened constantly and is in constant need of a reformation. And even by the end of today's sermon today, hopefully 
uh, we'll, we will see once again about the, the need, the desperate need that we have as believers and as the church, specifically in America, for the need of a great reformation to take place again. We are talking about basic Christianity. There's a thing out there, it's called counterfeit Christianity. It, it kind of smells a little bit like Christianity. It may even taste a little bit about like Christianity, but it's a false version, meaning it's a counterfeit. It is not the real thing. And so today, as we've talked about in, uh, that we believe in the ultimate authority is found in Scripture, in Scripture alone, that again, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. Today, we continue that by looking at what's called solus Christus, which means uh, only Christ or in Christ alone. It was interesting, the great uh, reformer that we've talked a lot about in the last month, this man named Martin Luther, once said this, the daily practice of the Christian is that we must listen to the gospel every day because it tells us not what we must do, but what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for us. That we are constantly in that temptation. That we are constantly being pulled to be thinking about what you and I must do to accomplish salvation. But as the scripture and as the reformers and as many people since have, have just come back to the word of God that is constantly reminding us of the centrality of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel. That at the gospel, it is good news to us because it is, it is not our labor, it is not the toil of our very hands that saves us, but on the contrary, it is the labor and the toiling and the working of Jesus that saves us, and we need that daily reminder. This past Thursday night, I had the opportunity to gather with several of my students from Western and several hundred other students whom I did not know and some people from the community as the president of the seminary that I attended and Justin and several of us have, um, Dr. Albert Moeller from, the da uh, from Southern Seminary um, who's on television all the time, writes articles for the New York Times, he's on CNN, Fox News, all, all these sorts of things, a very quoted man, very controversial man by some. But he's on this speaking tour where he goes to colleges all over the country, and it's called the Ask Anything Tour. And if you've ever been to an open mic night, you know that that's typically a dangerous thing to do. Typically, it does not go well. I've been to some open mic nights at churches before that I wish I'd never been to. But in this auditorium, 600 and something students piled into this place, or people piled into this place, and they... They set a mic over here and they set a mic over here. And it was really interesting because these students could ask this. He's probably the smartest person I know. Um, they could ask him anything that they wanted to ask Dr. Moeller. And so you were hearing all sorts of questions coming. And um, as they're sitting here and as he's answering these questions, there was this one gentleman that was on one side of the room. And he had been probably waiting for 45 minutes to ask his question. And my, when it was his turn, he steps up to the mic and he gets really emotional. He gets really nervous, really emotional. 
And he's trying to get the words out, the questions out, and, and people are just applauding this young man, you know, just trying to encourage him. He can ask whatever he wants to ask. You just tell that he's filled with fear. He is filled with anxiety. And in that moment, he, he finally, with the encouragement of a, a, a local minister here in town, was able to get the words out, and it came out something like this. Um, how can I be saved? How can I know Jesus? How, how can I become a Christian? How can I know that Jesus is who he says he is? And he begins to ask this question, and Dr. Moeller, very, uh, as brilliant as a man he is, just uh, humbled himself before these people and, and before this young man and encouraged this man and for the next several moments um, shared the very simplistic gospel which is the gospel of who God is and, and who man is and, and who Jesus is and that the importance of, of belief and that is this is a, a, a moving of God in a person's life. And I mean, it was, it, was, it was great. It was a phenomenal moment in the midst of all of those, sec many of them secular students. But I tell you that story because there's a story that you didn't hear. And it was the story of a police officer that, officer that was standing in the back of the room making sure that nothing crazy was about to happen at this talk. And he was standing in the back of the room. We had two policemen there. And one of them ended up talking to a pastor friend of mine or they ended up having a conversation because the question of the grown police officer, this adult man, was, really? It's that easy. It's that easy to become a Christian? He never had a mic in his face. He never stood up waiting to ask Dr. Muller a question, but just hearing the simple gospel, a man that was there to protect and serve was radically moved to the realization of, what do you mean, like, this Jesus, like, he does it? Like, this is easy? This isn't on me? Like, this is, this is on Jesus? And the answer is a resounding Yes. It's a resounding yes, brothers and sisters, friends. That it is, it is not by the working of our own hands, but it is, it is by the movement of Jesus. It is by his finished work in his life and in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection that, that you and I cannot be saved by our own doings, but must be saved by the person and work of Jesus. And yet, Oh, how easy it is for you not to forget this. We see inside of Solus Christus, in Christ alone, or only Christ, is, is at the center of all the other solas, are connected by this person and work of Jesus. He is the, the bonding agent. He is the source. He is whom salvation by grace and faith alone is pointing to. We don't put our faith in faith. We don't put our faith in grace. Both of in grace alone, by faith alone, are pointing to someone. Not to some philosophy. Not to some ascent. But to a person and his name is Jesus. 
When we look inside of the book of Acts in chapter 4, we see here that, that Peter and John are, are preaching the gospel. And, and who's getting annoyed? Those who claim to have a version of it. The religious people, the Jewish people are, are getting upset and they've gotten upset because they have healed <coughs> this gentleman. He was crippled and God worked miraculously through the disciples to heal this crippled man. And they simply did not know what to do with, with Peter and James. So they, they put them into prison and then began to have uh, kind of a, a deposition against them or to try to figure out, man, how do we handle these guys who will not stop preaching that Jesus is Lord? That he is the resurrected Messiah, that he is the coming king, that he is a kingdom, and that Jesus is the king. And we get to this really interesting passage here. At the very end, Peter gets an opportunity to once again preach to these men and to explain themselves. And he says in verse 12, and there is salvation <coughs> in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. To understand solus Christus is to first understand only Christ. Only Christ. This means that Christianity and its claims and the person and work of Jesus that they are exclusive. That it is only Christ. When we're speaking about solus Christus, we are talking about the exclusivity of Jesus. That it is Jesus who saves alone. That, it, that he needs no partners. That he, he needs no one else. That it is only Jesus. Only, always Jesus. It is him. It is him alone. But these exclusive claims of Jesus and of his followers cause a great problem. In this passage again, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, if you have gathered here this morning, it is my personal opinion that this very point, this idea of the exclusivity of Jesus is, is a growing problem, if not the problem, in Christianity and those who are not in Christ. We are seeing this throughout the world. Nothing leads to the persecution of the church and of Christians throughout history than the exclusivity and preaching that it is in Christ and in Christ alone. That it is only Christ is the means of salvation. I mean, if you want to be yelled at, if you want to be blasphemed, if you want to be cursed at, if you want to be ostracized, if you want to be pushed out to the fringes, if you want to be burned at the stake, if you want to be defriend and unfollowed, then man, start proclaiming that only Jesus can save. And you will quickly see that there's a large world out against you. I would, I would contend to you that I believe that it is a huge problem, a growing problem 
within Christendom. And it is a false gospel to believe anything other than Jesus alone. When speaking of only Christ or the exclusivity of Jesus, we are, we are stating that a person can only be saved through the person and work of Jesus. Do you get that? I mean, you're, you're, you're staking a claim that if a person is going to be saved, if they are going to be reconciled to an almighty, holy, distinct God, the God of all creation, the, the Holy One, that if, if man, if sinful man is going to be reconciled to that God, then they can only be reconciled to that God through Jesus. And immediately, there is a dividing line. See, the belief is that there are, are many paths that lead to the same God. That's the popular belief. That there are many paths that lead to the same God. But on the contrary, again, to be reconciled to God, one must be saved in Christ and in Christ alone. That famous verse, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father. So no one is reconciled to the Father except through me. And Jesus is he's pointing to himself. He didn't say that he was a possible way. He didn't say that he was your own personal truth. He didn't say he was only one way to life. No, Jesus says he is. It is a, a singular notion. It is it is derived in his personhood. It is, it is coming from him. He is the only way to God. And that is man's biggest problem is that they're distant from God and they need to be with God. And the only way to get to that God is, is standing and being in the person and work of Jesus. We call this being in union with Jesus and having communion with Jesus. You are either in Christ and saved for all of eternity, or you are in Christ and eternally separated from him and his love. It rests in the person and work of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. The exclusivity of Jesus as a means to be reconciled to God stands boldly against what is known as religious pluralism. Religious pluralism is the belief that no one religion owns absolute truth. Religious pluralists reject the very scripture, no one comes to the Father except through me. Many of you guys have maybe seen these drawings before, you've seen the bumper sticker called Coexist, right? Or maybe you've seen it explained like this, that um, religious pluralism is this idea that there are, there's this giant mountain. And at the top of that mountain is God. And the, the way to get up to God is, is like if you've traveled up any mountain, if you've ever been hiking before, there can be many paths, but it all leads to the same peak. So you can take whatever road you want to, but at the end of the day, you will end up at the same place and that is with God. That's religious pluralism. And so Muslims, the Islams, they, the Islamic people, they, they follow one of those paths. And the Hindus, they follow one of those paths. And, and the Catholics, they follow one of those paths. And the Jews, they follow one of those paths. And the, 
um, the Christians, they follow one of those paths and each has its own kind of distinctions and things like that. But, but when we all die, we're going to wake up to realize it was always the same God. And since God is love, and since God loves all people, he created multiple and many ways to get to him. And yet, that is not what the Bible teaches. What does he say? No one can come to God except through me. Except through Jesus. See, the, the Romans were okay with Jesus being a God or being a way. But the Romans were, were not cool with Jesus being the only way. Even inside the Old Testament, the Jewish people went into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity. Do you know why? It's because they became religious pluralists. They began to worship many gods. They, they held to a belief of Yahweh, yes, but they also began to dabble in the, the gods of the Babylonians and the gods of the uh, Assyrians. They began to, to mix all of these things together. And because of it, as a, a way of, of, of punishment... God disciplines them by putting them into slavery under their very enemies. See, brothers and sisters and friends, God will not share his glory with anyone else. It is his, and it is his alone. And, and we see this idea that he is, he is not going to share his throne with any other created gods. He is going to only be the one sitting on the throne because there is only one God. That's a really big deal. I mean, it doesn't take very long in your life to learn about the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, right? And what's the first one? Have no other gods be for me. See, this idea of religious pluralism, though it is very popular amongst humanity, it is very unpopular with God. There is only one God. And the only way that you can get to that God is, is through the person and work of Jesus. See, to say that you believe these things um, or these multiple ways is to deny the, the very truths of the Scripture. It is to deny sola scriptura. It is to deny the, the fact that we believe because the Scripture is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It is without contradiction. It is the infallible, inerrant, complete, authoritative Word of God. And to deny these truths would, would, would mean then that the Word itself is not not true. It also would make out Jesus to be a liar because he's the very one saying you can't get to God unless it is through me. See, if this crumbles, then it all crumbles. It all crumbles. But sadly, this belief is not only found in the world, but it's the common belief of those who profess to be Christians. In 2018, there's a ministry called Lincolnier Ministries. It's been very impactful to a lot of us in this room. Uh, it was started up by a man named R.C. Sproul, who has now gone on to be with Jesus. Um, but we, man, I just love R.C. He doesn't know it, but he's, he's my grandpa. And um, just an amazing man of God. 
And in this ministry, in 19, uh, excuse me, in 2018, they did this survey, and we sent it out, and several of us talked about it and things like that. But in that survey in 2018, they, they surveyed all these people in the world or in our country about uh, religious theology. And in that, they asked the questions, how many of you believe in the exclusivity of salvation to only be in Jesus? And so they're asking people who profess to be Christians. They would check the box on the census, Christian. And 51% of them said they do not believe in the exclusivity of Jesus for salvation. That means, if you can imagine, everybody look that way. Y'all look that way. Now y'all look that way. All right? That, that one of these sides of people in this very room do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Now which side is it? We're going to have a little test at the end of the service. You stick around. We'll bring out the snakes, and if you hold a snake, you really have faith, all right? <laughs> I mean, think about that. 51% of Americans who claim to be Christians believe in religious pluralism. Not in the, 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 the single idea that one salvation is only saved by Jesus. Do we, do we understand? I mean, we should feel a tension in this room right now that, that a majority of this, this place, this nation that we live in, many great things about it, but one of the deceitful things about it is, is that you can have a form of, of Christianity and any other religion for that matter, let's, let's give some grace to everyone, that you can really create a religion of your own creation and then label it Islam, label it Judaism, label it Catholicism, and label it Christianity. It goes back to Romans chapter 1 where we become our own gods. We're trying to create, be the gods of our own religions. And many sitting in church, and may I contend possibly many of you in this room are holding to a false truth. See, brothers and sisters, we believe lies all the time. People believe lies all the time. People will place their trust in the lies all the time and be completely convinced of those lies. That's why we need something like Sola Scriptura that, that brings us back. I'm talking about brothers and sisters. Does this word of God, does it permeate everything in your life? From what you do on a Sunday morning to, to what you think about politics, the, the word of God should permeate and dictate every decision that you and I make because it's the word of God because it is the authority and yet we live in a culture where people are claiming to be Christians and they like to dabble and say well, well I'm going I'm to skip on this this part I'm going to kind of ignore these truths but this I'm going to accept or this is convenient for me in the moment this is going to help out my pocketbook so I'm going to make this decision because it goes against Scripture, but this is going to help my pocketbook, and so I'm going to make that decision. 
and yet they claim to be followers of Jesus. And we're outrightly go against this idea of who Jesus is and the authority of Scripture in our lives. Let me read you some quotes from some friends of mine, some college students. All these people profess to be Christians. I think there are multiple religions, and whatever someone attaches to and agrees with is their true religion. I don't think someone can claim that there is only one true religion based on what they believe. I think that we all have differing religions and ideas, but ultimately we are praying to the same God, just different situations. I believe all religions lead to the same God. Catholicism, Jewish, and Muslims all worship the same God, but our different religious beliefs and customs. All religions are correct in their own way, but I believe in my own is the right for me. I believe that all religions might have different beliefs, but they all lead to the same God, the God I worship. And all of that is lies. So we've got we to gotta stop just being in these religious Christian circles of ours. Because when you begin to have spiritual, deep, meaning relationships and conversations with people, this is what you will quickly find. All professing to be believers, yet 51% of them don't believe in solus Christus. My very students, again, a majority of them all claiming to be Christians, and yet, here's what has happened. We have, it is no doubt, and I hear this from students all the time, we heard this the other night with Dr. Moeller, is the idea and the concept of love. See, we live in a culture where um, love means that you must be tolerant of everything, We've also, because people know a scripture that says God is love, is that true? It is absolutely true. Why, how do we know that? Because the scripture says it. And we believe in sola scriptura. But here's the problem. Is that we live in a culture where, yes, it is true, where God is love. But, but what we've done is, is we made love into God. And that's not the gospel. See, we've created something where love now triumphs or is, is triumphant over truth. Instead of love should be an expression of truth. See, I think we've gotten really scared of emotions. Emotions are a great thing. Every one of us are emotions. We just don't say, show the exact same emotion. Have you ever said to somebody, man, they're just a really emotional person? Well, guess what? You are too. You just show a different emotion probably than they do. All right? And, and there's nothing wrong with being emotional as long as it's being emotional over something that is true. And yet we, we live in this culture where that's not the case, where we, we will allow love or these concepts or, or religious pluralism to create new truths and then dictate how we live our lives. And yet the calling of the scripture, the calling of our lives, the calling for those of us who are in Jesus is, is to, for the truth to set us free. And when the truth begins to set us free, then we have these emotional lives, then we have these things that pour out of us because they are centered 
on fact, not driven by an emotion. But yet we see this all the time. And this is extremely dangerous. Truth, by definition, is exclusive. If you say that something is true, then that there must mean, all right? It doesn't take a genius or a philosophy major to know. If something is true, then that means exclusively there is something out there that is false. And I'm telling you guys what, if, if this isn't all true, if it's not true from Genesis to Revelation and Jesus is not who he says that he is, then man, let's close up shop. For Christmas, Laura and I got ourselves a new bed. It took us 20 years to get a nice bed. And I'm telling you, I did not want to get out of it this morning. It looked like a hug. Like it was awesome. And I'm just telling you, if Jesus isn't who he is, if he is not the only way, what are we doing here? What are we doing here, family? What are we doing here, friends? He's either who he says he is or he's a liar. And he's not a good man. He's either Messiah. He's either Savior. He is either Lord. He is either the only way, the truth, and the life. Or he's a liar and a lunatic and a crazy man. And you and I ain't got any business saying anything good about him or his followers. You can't be a good man and convince people for thousands of years to die on your behalf. I'm telling you, the only thing that keeps me many a time sane and standing in this pulpit, it is not based on the things that I see, but it is based on the truth is I cannot stop believing and putting my faith in and trusting that Jesus is who he says that he is. That's the only thing that keeps me here. It ain't you, I can tell you that. I love you. All right? I even like some of you. But you're not the reason I stay here. I keep doing this, grinding it out, because I am completely convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. And that's why I put on my boots every day. It's because of him and what he has done. That's why I can confidently stand up in front of a bunch of religious pluralists, really there are a lot of things, and at a college university and say, you need to know Jesus. That's your problem. Is that you need Jesus. I am mean, asking you how you think about church, because I got lots of opinions about church. The issue is, who is Jesus? And he's either Savior alone, or man, he... He's a dirtbag. Like he's a cult leader. He's the greatest liar and manipulator. He's a con artist. And we have all bid it hook, line, and sinker unless Jesus is God. And if he's God, then that changes everything. You follow me? Let me say this. Preaching the exclusivity of Jesus has led to the perse uh, of persecution of Christians for now thousands of years. 
people will be okay with you with a lot of things, but if you start telling them that their religion is false and that it will not lead to salvation, but only it will be found in Jesus, you're going to quickly find out who your friends and family are. We must remember this morning, though, that though Jesus is exclusive, that is not cause for us to be elitist. Which is what's happened and is what is being silently preached when all of us claim to have this answer yet don't preach the gospel. Do you hear me? In your silence... You are professing to have the answer to life and death and yet have become elitist in your practice because you and I don't share the gospel. This truth of solus Christus, only Christ, should drive within us, it should fuel our compassion for people and our passion for evangelism. Let us, let us rest in this for a moment. Listen to me. Let, let, let Get this. If this is true, if we are saved only by Jesus, then every Muslim you know, if they die in this moment, apart from Jesus, go into an eternal hell, and that is not something you and I should be throwing a party about. But we should be weeping over it. Every Buddhist you know, if they die today apart from Jesus split the gates of hell wide open, deserving that full wrath of God being poured out upon them. And yet we should not be excited about that. Every Catholic you know, apart from the saving work of Jesus in Christ alone, is lost. Is lost. Every Buddhist, every Jewish person, every agnostic, every atheist, every Southern Baptist, apart from Jesus, is lost. I grew up in a, in a tribe within Christianity that again believed it was all on you. All on you. Every bit of it. You had to get it and you had to keep it. And you know what the Bible calls that? Lost. It calls it lost. It's another religion. It's a counterfeit Christianity to believe that you and I save ourselves. Is the antithesis of the gospel. No, but the gospel reminds us we should be encouraged this morning that it's exclusive. It is only found in the person and work of Jesus. It is found in his life, his work, his laying down. The second part of this, I've got to speed up here, is the second thing that you need to understand from the Reformed perspective, from the Bible perspective, is not only in the exclusivity of Jesus and us being saved in Christ alone, but it is, it is also Christ alone. So the first part, exclusivity, means like only Christ. You are saved only in Christ. But there's a second part, and that means this. That means that we are also saved in Christ alone. And what does that have to do with? That has to do with the sufficiency of Jesus' work. Do you get that? 
The first section, in case you missed my points, point number one, exclusivity of Jesus. Point number two, $1,000, $100,000. No, uh, point number two is the sufficiency of Jesus. This is what makes up solus Christus, is the, um, again, the, the sufficiency and exclusivity of Jesus. God is the only sufficient one to save us. But if you ever ask the question, what are you needing saving from? God is the only sufficient one to save you from God, friends. That's what you're being saved from. You're being saved from God himself. I know Looney Tunes likes to draw the devil, right? And I grew up again in a faith tradition where the devil was in anything. Car didn't start, can opener don't work, whatever it is, got a demon in it. It's the devil. Okay? And we love this idea of, man, I just want to be saved from hell. But do you know who reigns over hell? It is not the devil. That was a place, an place of imprisonment for the devil and all of his followers. It is a place of imprisonment for him. And you know who holds the keys? Jesus. Hell is a place where God's love is void, but his wrath and justice is continually being poured out from sunup to sundown for all of eternity. Imagine the common grace of God being removed on humanity and they're completely turned over to live however they want to live. Anybody want to sign up to live on that island? Where there is no restraint, no moralistic restraint, no, no, no guidance to a new and better way of life, but simply placing all of these people onto a place where they live for all of eternity and they are completely turned over to everything and anything that they want. That's hell. God is saving you from God. If he doesn't save you from himself, then he isn't. Who he is, his character is lost, his, his nature is, is lost. God is saving you from himself. See, all other religious attempts are, are for man in some way to work their way to this God or work their way to enlightenment or work their way to nirvana. And there's all of these paths that in hopes that you in some way be good enough and have worked hard enough in order to achieve what is ever at the peak of the mountain. And you know what Christianity destroys? That whole concept. Because we serve a God that is not commissioning us to come to him because the Bible says you won't. Nor can you. You don't seek after him. No, not one. And even if you did, your attempts to do it are filthy rags. We serve a God that is so kind that realizes humanity could never make it up that path to the top of the peak but rather is the only one and because he's the one and only true God who comes down the mountain. It's called the incarnation. See, so many of us are working our fingertips down to the bone, trying in some way to impress God to receive his love and affection. All the while missing, he is the one that has worked his fingers to nothing and can infinitely, continually do that. Because your work will never achieve what is required by God for you to be in his presence. And so what does he do? He comes. Merry Christmas. Let's have gifts today.
That's Christmas. You miss Christmas if you miss that. It's not you getting to God. You need to hear that, some of you. You grew up in, as religious as I did. And you need to hear that. Recovering Pharisees, let's all sit in a circle and say, I'm a recovering Pharisee. I've tried to work my way to Jesus and God my entire life. And I just want, as, as a recovering Pharisee, I want you to know, you are free in Jesus. You can never do it. You can't do it, so rest. Rest in what? Rest in Jesus. He's done the work. He is sufficient to do it. He is the only sufficient thing that can accomplish this. It says, and there is salvation. How can we know this? Well, Ephesians tells us that we were once by very nature deserving God's wrath. But then 1 Timothy is going to tell us in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, brothers and sisters, I'm your pastor, but I'm not your Jesus. I'm not your priest either. See, we have the, the priesthood the royal priesthood of believers. It's not found in the centrality of some earthly man, but what does the Bible tell us? We don't have to have all of these intercessors between when us in the throne room of God. But did, did you know that the one mediator that you have, I mean, picture this, what is a mediator? A mediator is a person who stands in between two parties to bring forth reconciliation between the two. And on one of those sides, you've got God. And on the other side, you've got his enemies. That's all of us. And in the middle, though, is Jesus. And he's mediating. He's bringing forth the reconciliation needed. Everything that is brought up against us in sin, do you know what it is? It's true of you. And yet Jesus paraphrased, I got that one. I got that one. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. I'll take that one. And I'll take that one. And he infinitely and endlessly is mediating, allowing a holy God and sinful man to be reconciled. And how does that happen? What is the, the, what is the glue that holds that together? It is in Christ alone. He is the sufficient one. In Romans chapter 3, Verse 24 through 26. And are we justified by his grace, a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, to be received by faith? Don't get scared of that word propitiation. It is a beautiful, beautiful word for you and I. What does propitiation mean? It means the, the wrath of God against us has been appeased. It has been satisfied. In other words, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient to save us from the deserved wrath of God. Again, what is hell? It, it, is, it, is, it is God's wrath being poured upon you. You need to be saved from God. And the only thing that is sufficient to save you from that is Jesus. Jesus, our propitiation. He has appeased what, what God required of us. It is satisfied in the sufficient work of Jesus. The prefix pro means for. 
So propitiation brings about a change in God's attitude toward you, toward me. So that he moves from being at enmity with us to being for us. Through the process of propitiation, we are restored into fellowship and favor with God. That's why we sing such songs as this. In Christ alone, who, who took on the flesh and fullness of God and helpless babe, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was what? Satisfied. The only one who is sufficient to satisfy God's heavenly decree against us is Jesus. It is Jesus. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. In Christ alone, salvation is not a possibility. Jesus didn't die for some potential for some to be saved. No, no, Jesus came to save and to save completely to make sure that those whom he has saved has always will be saved. If the Son has set you free, you and I are free indeed. In John chapter 6, I love this passage. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. A little bit further in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but rise, raise it up on the last day. Do you get that? Like, that's his mission, that all whom God has given to Jesus in the church, in Christ, in faith alone, by grace alone, that, that it is goal, it is his job, that he will not lose any of you. He will not lose you. He will not. You're not his keys. Alright? <coughs> You're like a man who, who goes to a field. Jesus is like a man who, who goes to this field and when he goes to the field he, he finds a pearl of great price. He finds a great treasure. So he goes back home and he, he sells it all because of this. And he, and he leaves that. He gives it all away to go buy the field. Jesus is sufficient. All that the Father gives will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Hebrews 12, 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who's the perfecter of your faith? Well, I think it says Brian Lewis is the perfecter of his faith. Nope, that's a lie. That's not what it says. Quit acting like it, Brian. Don't be a Demas. Right? Pastor Justin. Who's the, who's the founder? Jesus is. You mean I didn't find my faith? I didn't, he didn't throw me a life vest and I had to reach out and grab it because I was drowning in my sin but in my last breath he threw me a life vest and I reached out and grabbed it? Hell no. That is not the gospel. That is straight from the pits of hell itself. To believe that God needed your help in order to save you. The sufficiency is in Jesus. He is the founder. Who's going to perfect your faith? You, right? No. Jesus. 
Jesus is going to perfect your faith. Philippians 1.6, right? This is the, got this hanging on your wall or you got some tattoo on your body or something that says this probably. Am I sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus? And Christ alone proclaims we put our trust in, not in our labor, not in tradition, not in the priest, not in the church, not in the baptism, not in communion, not in a to-do list, but rather in the sufficient work of Jesus Christ alone. See, assurance of salvation is not determined in a daily evaluation of our works, but rather a daily looking and clinging to His. Maybe like you, you've wrestled with some of these things. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Brothers and sisters, no. But He is perfectly good. Have I prayed enough? Never. But Jesus has never ceased to pray on your behalf if you're in him. Do you get that? May we feel and know his presence today. Have you ever prayed enough? No, you, you look at that passage that says pray without ceasing, you're like, yeah, right. And yet Jesus has never stopped. He's never stopped praying without ceasing on your behalf. We don't need Mary to pray through. We don't need the saints to pray through. We have a Jesus. Jesus is God. Have I sinned too much? Brothers, sisters, friends, more than you could ever imagine. More than you ever know is how much you've sinned. And yet knowing all of this, he became sin for us. Wow. In Christ alone, we see the sufficiency of his work. and the inclusive nature of his being and who he is. Brothers, sisters, friends, for God to reject his people, he would have to reject Jesus. And may you be encouraged today. He is never going to do that. He's never going to do that. For you and I in Christ to be rejected would mean that he's going to have to reject the mediation of Jesus, the work of Jesus, that Jesus dying on the cross, that we need to read, Jesus needs to come back again. And, and the Bible even speaks to this mentality, it's like we need to crucify him every day over and over and over and over and over again. But it was sufficient on that day. And when he said it was finished, like it really was and is. He is never going to reject you if you are in him because he will never reject his son. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.